Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. So the key to a successful hiring isn't in covering evidence of a person's ability to align culturally and professionally with your unique company. None of this evidence is on a resume. So how do we gather evidence? Well, first, not shortcutting the interview process. And second, focusing on deep behavioral questions, then confirming your conclusions with data through assessments. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs and business leaders avoid costly hiring mistakes by identifying a specific problem and providing proven solutions to enable your company to win the right hire. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Josh Mellon. He is the founder and CEO of our new sponsor, Criteria Corp. Josh started the Criteria Corp in 2006 with the vision to create a SaaS-based pre-employment testing service that would make the highest quality employee assessment tools accessible to companies of all sizes. Criteria has over 4,000 customers in 40 or more countries across the globe. Nice work, Josh. And their pre-employment tests are an efficient and reliable means of gaining insights into the abilities of tendencies of potential employees, which is what makes Josh the perfect expert for today's topic. Josh, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. So today we're going to be discussing assessments and specifically assessments versus resumes, because I think we both have a hate, well, at least I know, I do. I have a hate for resumes. I hate hate relationships with resumes. Yeah. Hey, hey. Just, <laughs> I just don't love them. I just don't love them anymore. So we're going to talk about assessments versus resumes. We're going to talk about why and how to use assessments effectively. And we're going to share a process to properly assess the person you want to hire, both passive and active candidate. We got a lot to bite off today. Sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Perfect, Josh. So let's start by talking about assessments. Now share with me some data or some of your thoughts on why assessments are critical in finding the right people for your company. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about all the advances we've had in HR technology in the last 10 or 15 years, right? Really transformed talent acquisition. But the thing that always sticks with me is we haven't gotten that much better at hiring people right? In terms of making good hiring decisions. So there was a big study recently that showed that 54%, this was across dozens of different industries in the U.S. that showed that the hiring success rate in the U.S. is 54%, which the other side of that, of course, is that 46% of all new hires are unsuccessful in the first year was how this study defined it. So a little little better than a coin flip, right? When we make hiring decisions. At Criteria, we think that the problem is that despite all these great new HR technologies, we're just making decisions on candidates sometimes in very flawed ways. As you kind of hinted up top, Rick, we think one of the main culprits is the resume. So if you think about it, the resume is like a 70-year-old tool, right? It hasn't changed much since like World War II, right? And we just feel like using this tool so prominently as so many companies do in the hiring process is really letting us down. And I guess I would say in a lot of ways, it's like it's an analog tool for a digital world and it's just not keeping up. And there's a lot of research out there that shows that resumes are really what statisticians would call a really weak signal, right? They're just not very good at predicting an outcome. And so we think we can do a lot better and some of the shortcomings of resumes you can overcome by using assessments in a strategic and targeted way. I think my audience has heard me bitch about resumes so often on the <laughs> show. They're probably tired of hearing it. Yeah. I'm not breaking news there, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true though. I mean, they're so flawed. And the fact is, is that I found that people with bad resumes tend to be the best people and people who have really good resumes tend to be the worst. If you're basing it off of just a piece of paper that has a bunch of words on it, you're just not getting everything that you're not getting even a tenth of the picture of whether 
whether or not that person is going to be able to perform well in your organization. And that's the most important piece. So how do we solve this problem with assessments? I mean, I like the idea of just being able to give somebody an assessment up front and not have to use a resume. And a lot of times I do an assessment of each person that I talk to verbally to find out how good they are. And this is more valuable, especially with when you're getting 100 resumes to be able to tap into that platform. Yeah, that's right. And I think what a resume is supposed to be doing, they're supposed to be giving you a good and a really efficient way to gather data on prospective candidates, right? And they're just not good at that. They're not a good way of doing that. So if you think about how we should construct a way of getting to know candidates better in a way that scales and that's efficient, I think resumes are falling short on virtually every count, right? So the better the data you gather on a candidate, the better hiring decisions are going to make ultimately, right? If you have accurate and objective info, that's really important. There's just a ton of data that shows, I think I read that 85% of resumes contain some kind of falsehood or extreme exaggeration. So the data, first of all, isn't accurate. The data should be objective rather than being written by the person who's applying, right? Second problem with resumes. There's also a lot of newer research that shows that what we should all be trying to do in terms of making good hiring decisions or any kind of decisions really is removing subjectivity and bias from the equation. In the last 10 or 15 years, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with a lot of this, Rick, but there's been works by like Malcolm Gladwell and other authors that are really synthesizing all this new research that behavioral economists and psychologists have done that shows that all humans have these sets of unconscious biases that really can sabotage or hijack good rational decision making. And my favorite example of that with the resume and how they really inject a ton of bias into the process is, let's say the hiring manager's first point of contact is the resume. They did a study, I think it was in... um, Boston to Chicago a couple of years ago, where they sent out thousands of fake resumes and they tracked callback rates. And then just when they altered the names on the resumes from either white sounding names to ethnic sounding names, then they repeated, I think, with just changing the gender of the names, they got dramatically different results where white candidates and male candidates tended to get callback rates that were dramatically higher, sometimes 50% as high as the other resumes. And the resumes were identical except for the name at the top. And if you think about this, right, it's often HR departments are really progressive. They're certainly focused on avoiding bias, but these are unconscious biases we have in our head of like, what does the perfect person for this role look like just as a mental image, right? So we're not purposefully discriminating against anyone here. It's just this unconscious bias that creeps into the process. So with the resume, right, you're not even getting past the first line of the resume, right? The name before you start encountering some of these biases. So just fundamentally flawed. And I think what assessments and anything else you do, right, not just assessments, but anything else you do in terms of gathering good information to make better decisions on candidates should focus on getting a objective data, getting reliable data that you can actually verify, finding things that are job related versus things that seem job related, but aren't really. So assessments can really help with that. And we can talk about some of the different kinds of assessments there. But you know, what you want to construct as an information gathering mechanism is in a lot of ways, the anti-resume. You want it to be objective. You want it to be reliable information. Think about it too. Like the resume is just a list of past experience typically, right? Which can be helpful, but it doesn't tell you much about what they could do in the future. That is true. Some assessments can actually get at things that predict, you know, adaptability and learning ability and ability to grow. And you really can't get that as much from a resume too. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I think job history and contact information are the most valuable pieces on a resume. And there's a lot of weight also put into educational background. I think people are screened out because of that. Um, yeah. There was an experiment they went around years ago where they took Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates's resume and they kind of beefed <laughs> it. Like they took all the stuff out of it and they sent it out. And because there was no educational background or 
no finishing, they didn't get very many callbacks. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, who wouldn't want to hire Bill Gates into their company? You know what I mean? like, <laughs> right. And that's an example, right, of another piece of information that is relevant sometimes, but is, again, a pretty weak signal, right? So a lot of big companies, I know you know this, Rick, are like Facebook. You mentioned Zuckerberg. Facebook has stopped asking for degree requirements or stopped insisting on them. Thank God. Yeah. 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 And it's just, especially in a tight economy, maybe this will shift a little moving forward, but everyone's trying to hire the top CS people from Stanford, right? The top computer scientists from Stanford. So the innovative companies that are really thinking about it are trying to get at the same things that you would get at through educational achievement in more innovative ways. Like there's plenty of smart programmers who just went to community college. So the question is, how do you find that talent? And the resume isn't going to surface those people often. Nope, not at all. All right. So why are assessments a good answer to a resume? I think they give you really good quality objective data. It's important that you, when you're setting up assessments, if you do decide to use them, that you know exactly what they're measuring and why. So that's really important. If you go in kind of using an assessment because you've heard its name or whatever, you've heard of the brand, that's not a good strategy. But if you really set it up in a way that you figure out what the key drivers of performance in a role are, what the job requirements are, and then use assessments that measure those constructs or those abilities, you'll be in really good shape. They're going to give you objective data and they should also give you, and this is really key, anytime you work with an assessment provider, they should be able to show you plenty of evidence that it actually predicts what you're trying to predict. So some sort of business outcome, job performance in a certain role, like for software engineers, for example, or for accountants, or, you know, the metric might be turnover and retention in certain other industries. You know, resumes can really not do that in terms of giving you objective, reliable data that you know is predictive of outcomes. And that's where assessments are a little bit differentiated, I think. Well, resume doesn't give you any performance criteria. It just says, hey, I worked on this, I did this, I did, you know, so it's a yeah. bullet point list of maybe some of the skills that you have. But the fact of the matter is you don't know how good that person is. And that's really the right. most important thing that you need to evaluate or gain evidence of before you hire anyone. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. If you list on a resume that you have X coding skills or you know these programs, you know, that's just a claim by the person applying for a job. So there are objective sort of scalable ways to measure those things. And that's where assessments come in. Well, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out what we do at stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content resources on how you can help build and land great hires. Today, our guest is Josh Millett. He is the founder and CEO of Criteria Corps. We've been talking about assessments versus resumes. We talked a little bit about the good, bad, and the ugly of resumes. I hate resumes. Probably not as much as you do, Josh. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about how we do this. Um, let's give our audience a process they can use in their hiring process. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I think how people decide to incorporate assessments into their hiring process will, of course, depend entirely on the specific dynamics of their hiring process and what else they're doing and when they're doing it. As a general recommendation, as a sort of default best practice, we often recommend that you use assessments really early in the process. So if you think of the hiring funnel, recruitment marketing terms, right at the top of the funnel, we would generally recommend that you use it quite early and I'll explain why. But with our customers, a lot of them will use it right after an application or a resume is received. So, you know, maybe there's some quick qualifiers. And again, it would depend on the role here. But if there's some things in the application process or in a resume that are must-haves that you don't have, then maybe you filter through those applicants and then send the assessment to everybody else who meets the sort of minimum requirements. And the advantage of doing it that way rather than waiting to do it at the end is generally that it can really help you drive efficiencies, right, in terms of your hiring process. It can help you sort of know where to focus your energies first. If you look at the people who scored in the top quarter or the top half, for example, that'll all depend on a lot 
of factors like what your applicant to hire ratio are, et cetera. But generally people like to use it really early in the process. So most people don't know that. They don't know what their applicant to hire ratio is. Yeah. So let's break this down. Now there's two types of candidates and I always say treat them the same way. Active and passive candidates. Active are people who respond to your job posting, which I'm guessing right now, if you do a job posting, you're going to get a lot of applicants. <laughs> yeah. And then you have passive people. I like to treat these very similar, but you do have to tweak it a little bit. Active candidates, you can run an assessment in the application process, correct? Yeah, that's right. I think your instinct is right there that when it comes to assessments, you kind of want to be sensitive to that active versus passive dynamic. You know, we talked about using it early in the process and some of our customers even take it further and they'll actually embed the link to the assessments right in the job posting. So they upload their resume and take the assessment through our software at the same time. But I think that's right with active candidates who are applying through through a job post, you can benefit from using it very early on to get that initial data point, or if you're maybe giving two or three assessments, those different data points early on. And that way you have it on all candidates. And the dynamic's a little different, I think, when you're talking about more passive candidates. If you're going to try and set yourself aside from other companies, if you just say, hey, look, at, we don't even want a resume. We just want you to do this assessment and give us your contact information. If you want to paste your resume in, great, mm -hmm. but we don't need it. I think right. that's a far better interview process and probably more impressive than what everybody else is doing because they're all basing it on a resume. Yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that most of our customers have not got rid of the resume. And even we as a company, you know, when we do our own hires, we haven't either. I think it's it's just really important. And, and we try to educate our customers about this. And I think a lot of them are sold before we <laughs> talk to them about this is that really talking about the limitations of the resume. I mean, if you think about it, it is a pretty efficient way to get a general introduction to a candidate. Take a glance at this sort of one page summary. But we've been over relying on it, I think. And especially Actually, a lot of HR technologies are based around the resumes and doing smart things with AI and things like that around the resume. The issue is, though, if the fundamental document itself is not very helpful, then no amount of machine learning or anything you can apply to it is going to make it a better source of information. It's a garbage in, garbage out scenario. Yeah, because it's just matching buzzw's and bullshit pretty much, right? Exactly. And it's teaching bad habits like keyword packing and things like that that people do when they construct resumes. So it's not really helpful. I think that the thing that most of our customers will do is they'll sometimes collect the assessments at the same same time as the resume and others will use it a little later on, but still pretty early in the process. So you get this data point on lots of different candidates. If somebody's doing an assessment too early on, if they're not engaged, they're going to probably not put a lot of effort into doing it. So then it could be getting flawed results. Yeah. And this touches on the issue you were talking about a minute ago, Rick, with passive candidates. You do have to be sensitive to the dynamics of the hiring process. What we found with active candidates is that if they're interested in the role, they will take the time to do assessments early in the process, as long as you do a couple things. One is clearly contextualize what the assessments are for and what they're doing. We have a thing we call internally the candidate bill of rights. And if you're going to give someone an assessment before you meet them, you ought to give them information about what it's measuring and how long it takes and just basic things like that. So I think if you contextualize it that way and you keep it relatively short, what we see in our data across all our customers is that if you give assessments early in the process, if you go over about the 40 minute point, we see a real drop off in completion rates. If it's more than about 35, 40 minutes. So for that remote testing, you know, once you've got someone down to your final three candidates, if you're giving them assessments on site and they know you're really interested in them, then you can do more testing if you like. But as a remote sort of top of funnel information gathering device, we really suggest that you limit it to less than 40 minutes because our data shows that that's when you start to lose some candidates that you might not want to lose. Now, do you have any of your customers that actually have a timeline attached to it? So you do the assessment, we'll get back to you within X amount of time. Here's our timeline for our hiring process. So the candidate understands 
understands exactly what to expect. I think that's really important, not just with assessments, but everything you're doing kind of top of funnel as an employer, setting expectations and the assessments are a big part of that because while they're really common across a lot of industries now, there's still people who haven't encountered them maybe since school, you know, since doing an assessment in school. So it might've been a while. Providing that comfort and that candid experience is of course so key. Um, You know, one of the things that we're developing new products in is in game-based assessments. And that's really part of a bigger trend towards making the assessments more candidate friendly and thinking a lot about candidate experience, especially our big enterprise customers really care about that. Gamifying the interview process. That's cool. Just making it more fun. So the process for active candidates would be what then? A little different there. I think our customers who use assessments with active candidates tend to deliver them a little later in the process. So active candidates, you want to get the application, you're going to have them do the assessment, and then you can bring them through the interview process, correct? That's right. Yeah. So you do a top of funnel with active candidates, and typically it's used as one of the key criteria for understanding who's going to move on to the next stage. So if you've got 100 applicants and you can only, from a time perspective, afford the phone screen, let's say that's the next step, 12 of them in the assessments together with whatever else information you gather is going to be used as a way to, to know, okay, who are my first 12 phone screens? Perfect. So then for passive candidates, somebody who's not actively looking, and I found that when people aren't engaged yet, if you have them do a test or do something, they just won't show up for it. So they have to be emotionally attached to it or have to have some sort of interest that's playing into that. What would you recommend if you're searching out passive people? When do you give them an assessment? What would be the process for that? I think you're right. Totally different dynamic with passive. And what we see there is customers that are using assessments will administer it significantly down funnel. And it's really kind of used functionally in a different way there, right? It's sometimes right before they come in for an interview. That's one common way to do it. So maybe typically after a phone screen or something like that, but before an in-person interview. And then some other customers will only use it actually for the people that come into the interview. And at the same time as you're doing the on-site interview, you might give an assessment as well. I'd say the first case is a little more common because what you don't want to have is if you're down to final three interviews and then everyone gets a bad assessment result and it just injects doubt into the process, maybe at a time when you don't want doubt. So I think the most common way to use them is before the in-person interviews where maybe you're giving it to all the people you're interviewing or all the people you're considering interviewing. What I have found though is that person needs to have a conversation with the hiring manager or the hiring authority, the entrepreneur, the CEO. Like if you're a entrepreneur and you're starting your own company, you need to have the conversation with them not an office administrator. You need to gain that emotional engagement. They have to be attached to you and want to work with you. If there's a little bit of a desire there, then they're going to be really interested in doing well in that assessment. I think that's absolutely right. It's sort of the next step towards really contextualizing why you're asking them to do this. And of course, there's so much sales that goes on with passive candidates as well. So you've got to take all those dynamics into account. And that's why typically it would be like later stage and really explaining what the purpose of the assessment is on an individual basis. So very true. We're coming up pretty short on time. What would be two or three key takeaways that uh, our audience can plug into their businesses today? Yeah. Takeaways, if you are looking at using assessments and want to get beyond the resume, I would say the three takeaways would be things we mentioned earlier a little bit, like making sure if you are going to use assessments, it's really critical to understand what they're measuring and why, because you'll hear a lot of sales pitches about great new science behind an assessment. But if you don't understand it or aren't 100% comfortable with it, you shouldn't use it for a lot of reasons. So understanding what the assessment 
measures that you're looking at and why is really important. So that's the first thing. Know what's in the assessments you're thinking about using. A related point would be make sure they're well validated. So any assessment vendor should be able to show you evidence that they have consistently predicted business outcomes that you're looking for, predict performance. So make sure they're valid. We say that should be as simple as asking the test publisher or whoever you're working with to show you that evidence. And if they can't, you know, that's a red flag. And then that point we talked about finally, Rick, just a minute ago is I think what we found with our customer base is the ones who see the most value in the assessments tend to be the ones who are using it earliest in the process. So it obviously, as we mentioned, that works a little less well for passive candidates. But when you're talking about active applicants from job posts or wherever you're sourcing your candidates, there's a real value in delivering these assessments, getting this data to make more informed and confident decisions very high up in the funnel. Sure. So that's what we'd recommend as a best practice if your hiring process allows it is to use it early. And if you're using a recruiter, actually that assessment before the person comes in, that confirms all their data from their assessment as well. So that just gives you a little added extra comfort in bringing that person in for the interview, right? Yep. After all, you got to save your time. That's right. I mean, your time is the most valuable thing. Exactly. So, well, shoot, Josh, we're just about out of time for today's show. I want to thank you for your time investment today and welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which the members of our community can reach you? Find out more about uh, Criteria and whatnot. Yeah, they can just email me directly at josh at criteriacorp.com or you can check out our products and services on criteriacorp.com, the website. So perfect. happy to hear from anyone by email though. And we'll have that linked on our website as well. All right. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Christopher Decker, our producers, Andrea Ballin, Ariel Kramer, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We welcome your feedback. And after all, we just want to make this show better for you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Hire. That's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Greg Cal. He is the CTO of Jump Cloud. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you've been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Gerard.